from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 topics of the week that made us go wow. Wow. Um, I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by the editor of the Wow Report, James St. James. Yes, that's me. And Chief Creative Officer Tom Campbell. We're coming to you from... um, Hi, Tom. How are you? Well, we're coming at you from different corners of the world. We've all been in splendid isolation for so many years anyway. What difference does it make where we are? Um, This is the first show of 2022. And without further ado, let's begin the countdown. Number 10. Number 10. Number 10. That's me. I finally get number 10. I am first. By God, it's a change is coming. <laughs> I'm number one. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Don't Look Up, um, the new Netflix. It's in Netflix. It's, it's on Netflix. It's in theaters now. It has one of the most spectacular casts of all time. Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Kate Blanchett, uh, uh, Ariana Grande, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Kid Cudi, Tyler Perry, Liev Schreiber. It goes on and on and on and on. And it's an incredibly divisive movie. It is um, the red state Trumpers hate it. It is supposedly an allegory about climate change. Um, And if you are in on the joke, if you are a libtard, you think it is absolutely hysterical. Or if you hate it, you are a Trumper and you don't get the joke at all. What happens, James? If you're a libtard like I am, if you're just going to round yes. things, round the numbers up or down, and you didn't like this movie, well, I don't understand it. I, it's you didn't like it, Fenton. I thought it was. Did you love it, James? Well, I thought I thought Kate Blanchett deserves an Oscar. I think it's the funniest thing she's ever done. Absolutely, her portrayal of Lucille Ball in Don't Look Up. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, she was amazing. I thought that um, uh, that the girl um, Melanie Lansky from uh, um, she was on Two and a Half Men. She played Leonardo's wife. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. I thought Ariana Grande killed it in every single so scene she did. So good. And you know, I didn't even see it as an allegory about climate change. I saw the "Don't Look Up" versus the "Don't Look Down" people as COVID deniers versus you know the you know anti-vaxxers versus vaxxers. I thought that, that there's so much you can read into this, and I thought it was done so. It was. I can actually see this happening in real life. Where the, did you ever laugh life- out loud? Did you ever laugh out loud during this uproarious broad comedy? I, I did, you know, Kate Blanchett really had me going a number of times, and Ariana Grande's scenes really had me going too. The the you fat, you know, you old fuck, just shut shut up, old fuck. I thought that was hysterical. that made me laugh out loud. Yeah, that's You've so depressing that, that the funniest thing in the movie was someone insulting someone else. I found myself profoundly irritated almost from the get go when she the way she puts the jam on her toast just made me so angry she's studying the stars and she's making tea and i hated the way she made her tea then i hated the way she made her toast and i was just like Ugh. but I think, it, I think this movie is designed to be an irritant i think it's designed to be divisive and my theory is it's been made actually by an algorithm that yes. netflix craftily cooked this up to engage us all make us all angry and rageful just like that uh, facebook whistleblower francis hargan said 
that it's all deliberate and designed to get us because I was mad as hell watching the film. I agree with you about the algorithm. Also, I, you know, the all I knew about it was the posters in LA on Sunset Boulevard and it's look up and it has Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, the two biggest stars in the world looking up through the type. And I sort of thought it was going to be a movie about them. And it's really, they have very little, even though their characters are relate, you know, work together, the movie splits them apart. Her character is nonsensical pretty much. They just sort of like, put her out to a 7-Eleven. It doesn't even make any sense. But, um, and, and she's not a very great female character, but whatever. We'll laugh for that. But it just felt like I was drawn to it because of, I thought it was going to be one thing or I thought it was going to be amazing. And it was kind of just not funny enough. And listen, it's a very hard thing to do parody right now because the world is weirder than fiction. Than any satire could ever be, yes. There was, as, as, as I did laugh at Ariana, I did laugh. It's an amazing cast, pedigree-wise, but I felt like there was, there was a lot of dead air in terms of me being fully engaged and entertained. I loved Mark Rylance, the sort of idiot boy savant who leads the high-tech company. And I also loved the, the, the tagline for the phone company, Life without the stress of living. That's an app I want, you know? It's like, that was... The big joke on Twitter was that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was the, the most unbelievable thing about the movie was Leonardo DiCaprio was married to a woman his own age and was having an affair with a woman his own age because those are two things that would never happen in real life. Yes, um, he played against type. He played against type. Yeah. I do want to um, say that uh, there are two other end of the world movies that I think are a little bit better that you should check out. The one is um, uh, Looking for a Friend for the End of the World, which stars um, Steve Carell and uh, Kira Knightley. And that is really adorable. I don't like Steve Carell at all, but that's in a comic coming towards Earth. And it's got you've got three weeks and you find, you're trying to find love for the end of times. There's another one with um, Jonah Hill and James Franco, which is This is the End, I think. And that one is just laugh out loud funny. So if you yes, want to do a, an end it. of the world marathon, those are the three that I suggest. Thanks. For, you know, I guess love it or hate it, you have to see it now. It, it, it's definitely yeah. something that, it, that fuels a lot of debate. Yes. You know, I was thinking one of the things, we'll move on. I know we've got to move on. But one of the things I was thinking was, I get the anxiety about climate change. And I it was one review saying the most depressing thing about this film is the fact that even if Ariana Grande sings a song about it, or even if Adam McKay makes this movie about it, even if those things happen, nothing will change. Yeah. And so it's well, that, the knowledge that's, that's that why it nothing will satire. change. Yeah. Because there's lightweight and, and shows got, like this kind of, one that distract everyone from the truth. Thank you. Well, I got weird comfort out of it because I thought, you know, we may not be okay, but the planet's going to be fine. You know, yeah. the planet's gone through much worse. And once, we're gone, the planet will be fine. So that's my, um, what is the word, Aspergery take on the whole thing. Yes. But, but if there is no planet left, if the comet destroys the entire planet, where do you go from there? Well, we're all going to die. So uh, <laughs> let's move on to number nine. <laughs> number nine. Great start to 2022. <laughs> now, speaking of a bleak outlook that works, you know, like all of us, I was I was cooped up trying not to get uh, COVID before the holidays. I canceled all my plans and I was consuming for me a great deal of media. And what I found out is if you sleep for three or four days in a row, as I was doing, all of a sudden there's one night you can't fall asleep. And what did I do in that one night? I watched the entire season 11 of Curb Your Enthusiasm. 
It is like I a have fine never wine. Seen an episode. I've never seen one episode. Oh my god, James! Something to look forward to. Same here. I, I, it's it may be too close to home. You may you may, you are Larry David for some of us. You know, just the, <laughs> oh, your 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 cantankerous, always right point of view about things. Um, <laughs> And you know everyone knows the history, but it's it's interesting in this moment of remakes that feel a little clunky, just like that. Um, and these end of the world movies, Larry has been doing it forever, and that show started in two thousand. This is his eleventh season, and he did something right where it's like, don't ever stop making your show, don't rush it out. I mean, that's the beauty of being an HBO, right? It's not like you don't have to crank one out every single year, every single season, and. It is exquisite and it is cranky and without giving away too many plots, Tracy Allman comes on as this uh, Santa Monica council person who's really unappealing, who Larry has to seduce and live with and make love to in order to get an ordinance passed in the Santa Monica City Council. And that's just a little tiny, tiny bit. And there's also, I have to look it up. But there is a scene stealer beyond, you know, you have like great, all the great cast, but there's a young 23-year-old actress, an unknown named Kayla Montorosa Mejia. And she plays this little uh, Mexican girl who, again, without giving away, Larry gets blackmailed into uh, casting her in his new TV pilot. And she is the worst actress on the planet. And there is a special gift that God gives very few people that can act badly for humor. And it's, it, she's in like three or four episodes. She's horrendous and hilarious. And I, you know, everyone should run out and, and buy stock in the amazing Kayla Monterosa Mejia. You heard that name here first. She's the best worst actress of 2022. So curb your enthusiasm. You watched binged the latest season. Is that right? Yes. Now, ten is episodes. Twenty four episodes per season, or is it like twelve? Like Sex I think it was ten. Something. It was ten. 10. So I could and basically do it in a weekend or a week. I could do the whole series. I think so. Oh, and okay. uh, Susie Essman, who's um, um, his cranky best friend. Um, uh, is so oh, J- James, you're gonna love this. I have no doubt you're gonna love this. Well, I think I'll take next week off from uh, from work and just uh, lie in bed watching it. I think you should be paid double if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> All right, so that's Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's streaming, I guess, on HBO, everything HBO Max, yep. HBO this, HBO that. Um, I want to stick with the uh, dystopian, uh, misanthropic, uh, end of the world theme. Number eight. It's 2022, of course. And do you know what happened in 2022? Oh, I think I know where this is going. Yes. Go ahead. The year that Soylent Green was set in. Uh, I think I'm right in saying it's a 1972 film. I saw it as a wee young thing. It terrified the shit out of me. I have to admit, I haven't seen it since. And Logan's Run, both. We're just, those were the, the, the ter- so scary. But, oh my God. I tell you, it, what was going on in the early 70s? Because the, Logan's run, and then also Soylent Green was often released with uh, Westworld, was played oh, in yeah. cinemas with Westworld, with Yul Brynner. Uh-huh. So the original Westworld. But what's so interesting about Soylent Green, I think, is that even though it was set in the 70s at the time when everyone was worried about overpopulation, 
so many of the themes and the issues are present with us today. It's not so much about ocean overpopulation, but the oceans are dying. Police power is the only thing controlling things, and it's brutally executed. Uh, the, the crowd control, the supply chain has broken down. People are angry. You know, there's riots and rage. Uh, infrastructure has collapsed. Um, the division between rich and poor has become really well, extreme. Also that whole 60s, 70s genre of, of fear-mongering about the future. That's Which right. I don't think anything's think changed since then. We just had this huge bubble of economic growth. So rich people got really rich and, and, and poor people were thrown a few bones. But I think structurally what's wrong with America has been wrong with America for a long time. Wait, Fenton, did you but say that I, you have watched it again? That you watched it again? I have not watched it again, but I think okay. while I'm in quarantine, I'm going to watch it again. I, I want you to, um, there's one specific scene in it. I remember that Edward G. Robinson got his posthumous Oscar for. Do you remember? Um, he hadn't been in movies in years and years and years, and he was on his deathbed, and he came out to do this one movie. And there's a scene where he makes the the the, the, the meal for uh, Charlton Heston, and they, they sit and they eat this, the actual food, and they cry about how good it tastes. And it's absolutely a beautiful, beautiful scene. And I just, I... I sob every time I think about it. No, I was going to say, there's another very powerful scene when um, Edward G. Robinson decides he's had enough and he goes to the euthanasia center and he's lying on a bed and in, in surround vision, they show beautiful film of fields of flowers and oceans. And it is, I mean, while we're talking about a film that's a parable about climate change, don't look up. Here's a film also that really talks about climate change. In a sense, it shows you the beauty of the modern world and you just weep watching. But, but it's, it's a world that they've world. never seen and that that's, this is finally, they realize what the world used to be and what, how they've destroyed it. It's, it is, it's, it's um, an amazing end to the movie. Where sort have all also, the flowers grown? Long time oh, is that the <laughs> Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. Um, just before we go, I'm going to tell you that 14 brand new queens enter the workroom on RuPaul's Drag Race tonight. Tonight, 8 p.m. on VH1, season 14. So um, get watching. Oh, special guest star Lizzo. Well, I have a question. Um, what is Soylent Green? We will have the answer when we come back after these messages. I love that, James. Thank you. <laughs> You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with uh, Tom and James and Blake. Um, we had a question before the break. And this is a spoiler alert if you don't want to know the answer to a 1972 plot twist. Skip ahead right now. <laughs> well, and I really don't know the answer to this, so Fenton's going to have to fill us in. What is Soylent Green? Well, I want to sort of preface this by saying that in the movie, it's in the future, and everybody eats Soylent Green, and that's all there is to eat on the planet. And it's like a paste, right? It's like comes in a can or something, and it's a it paste. It comes it's as a paste. It comes as a bun. It comes as a cracker, and it comes also, you can buy crumbs. I mean, it's a really bleak movie. 
And that, that, uh, that's and all anyone ever right. has is Soylent Green, and there's a giant Soylent Green factory that pumps out Soylent Green throughout the entire movie. I'll answer the question partially by saying that Soylent Green is marketed as coming from the oceans, supposed to be gathered from plankton and natural things in the water. But... As, as Ch- Charlton Heston and breaks into the factory and discovers the truth of what soil and green is, and let's all say it together. Soil and green is people. Soil and green is people, and it, they, they to use all the they dead become cannibals. To... They're eating yeah. the population. Okay. So when you die, you go to the soil and green factory and are turned into the paste that the people eat. So it's the first show of 2022, and we brought up cannibalism. I feel good about yes, us. We did good it for again. Us. For us. <laughs> We're back on our game. That's very exciting. We're <laughs> counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. We've reached number seven, Tom. Number seven. No, no, I started off. I get to be number seven. I'm the one. It's me, me, me. We've reached number uh, let's seven. Go to, let's James. go to James. Number seven. Uh, what happened, Brittany Murphy, on HBO Max? I don't know if you've seen this. It's a two-part documentary that tells the story of the meteoric rise of young actress Brittany Murphy and then her mysterious death in 2015. And what really happened, Brittany Murphy? Um, you know, she... Uh, was beloved very much by the Hollywood, by, by filmgoers and audiences and by the Hollywood community when she burst onto the scene doing a lot of TV movies and TV shows. And then she got clueless. And from clueless, she went to Gone Girl or uh, what is it? Um, Girl Interrupted. Girl Interrupted. That's it. Um, and then she was in Eight Mile and she was very much an A list actress for a very long time. And then she started having some problems. There's rumors of anorexia and bulimia, drug abuse. She started acting wonky on, on you know, red carpets. She would go on TV shows and not make any sense and was just, you got the feeling something was wrong. Well, enter a new boyfriend, Simon Monjack, who is this fat, sweaty, disgusting scam artist. Just a horrible, horrible ugly ugly nasty human being but for some reason she fell madly in love with him and he they got married and then he started to isolate her and she he wouldn't let her go anywhere he wouldn't let her see her old friends he wouldn't let her take any job offers they just stayed in this house that they bought and little by little, people were starting to get nervous that something was going on, that he, there, he was he was he, he was in control. It was like a weird Svengali situation and nobody was seeing her anymore. And no, people were very worried about her. Well, then she dies like out of the blue and nobody could. And there was people were saying, was it murder? Did he you know, was there was it like a, a drug overdose? What was it? And so the, this documentary sort of follows all the different conspiracy theories about what happened, because then six months later, he dies, too. And it's like nobody can figure out was there. Some people were saying there was like this black mold in the house. Was it black mold? Were they drug addicts? Did they overdose? What was it? Well, it turns out that she was anemic and that she had pneumonia and that he wouldn't let her go to the hospital to take care of it. And so she kept getting worse and worse, but she's also addicted to hydrocodone and is on a lot of antihistamines. And it turns out, I did not know this, I'm glad I know it now, but that drug addicts who are addicted to hydrocodone often 
boost it with antihistamines and it makes the high like 10 times you get 10 times higher and so that's what was going on and that's how he died as well afterwards but then after she died there's all sorts of weird stuff where it's he was with her mother and the mother is acting all wonky and drugged out and they go on Larry King and they're acting all crazy and in love and they're all over each other and you just don't know what is really going on with him. And then he he dies. There's all these people talking about her. And, you know, how she, she was with Ashton Kutcher for a long time. She's with all these A-lists. She was with Eminem, blah, 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 before she was with Simon. But then halfway through the documentary, all of a sudden, Perez Hilton shows up to be a talking head. And the whole thing turns into the Perez Hilton apology tour that he's been on for the last six years where I was a bully and I bullied her and da 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 and I apologize. And the whole thing takes this weird turn where it becomes the Perez Hilton hour. And so uh, you w- watch for the first three-fourths and then once Perez comes on, skip to the ending of what really happened. Well, on that note, uh, let's move on to number six, Tom. Number six. My most fulfilling binge of the season was a documentary produced by Ken Birds in 2014. I don't know if you saw it. It's it's still, it's on PBS right now. You can watch it for free or for a little donation. And it is The Roosevelt's An Intimate History. And it starts at 1858 with the birth of Teddy Roosevelt, who I, I know about in broad strokes, but it was really illuminating about his life and his presidency and his battles and his impact on the on the the country and then it's talked about his fifth cousin franklin delano roosevelt and i didn't know this for a fact either but frank but franklin delano roosevelt married eleanor roosevelt who was a cousin who was who was teddy roosevelt's niece um and i I am the worst because i'm not a great um studier or, or of history but if you want to feel good about yourself in 2022 watch what it was like in america before the civil war which when they when teddy lived during the civil war after the civil war race relations you know disease he had asthma as a child and was meant to be dead at a very young age he was an explorer and had all these incredibly you know arduous trips and he was still, he, he was the very end of when war was like grabbing a musket and getting a bunch of guys and charging a hill, you know, but then it led to, and he was very pro-war in a way. And he wanted, he also, all the Roosevelt's, Teddy, FDR, and Eleanor, they were all diagnosed by historians as being depressives, you know, and the way they kind of got ahead of it was being super, you know, him being into action, Always going, Wait, doing, well, doing. Didn't he like ride a, a a rhinoceros or something in the river? Wasn't there like some weird like he he did? He, it's, it's so his story he was is so, so macho. He he was the very macho. epitome of a macho man. Yes, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt modeled his life after him and his career. And he was he had a very strong mother, and he you know had a, a, a love of his life that left him, and he married Eleanor, who he liked. But they were all they never really bonded as a couple as we think, but they were great. They were a great partnership kind of operated separately, but had this great partnership. I didn't realize he didn't get polio until he was 31 years old. He was an incredibly robust person. The last day he was running in, you know, up, up where at their, uh, you know, 
Hudson Estate with the kids and swimming and fishing. And he said, I feel bad. I'm going to go to bed and never walked again and became president of the United States, you know, with braces on his legs and World War II and the atomic bomb. And then it ends in 1962 with the death of Eleanor Roosevelt and her contribution, which was kind of unprecedented for females. You know, the, the vote happened in 1920. It's such a swath of American history. Well, You've you got to imagine if the people who hate Michelle Obama and the first lady, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton, they would have gone bananas if if Eleanor Roosevelt was around today. They and they done- did, but they did back then. Yes. It's, it just reminds you that none of this, anything progressive is fought tooth and nail. I remember yes. even my grandfather, my, my my father was a Democrat. His parents were Republicans. My Grammy and Grampy were wonderful people, but they were anti-Roosevelt. And my dad was yes. like, No, I know my, my whole family was anti-Roosevelt as well. And if you even mention Roosevelt now, they still will get furious. And my dad's like, what did the Republicans ever give you? The Democrats gave you Social Security, you know, Medicare, the GI Bill, so many revolutionary things. Anyway, it is it's it's a lot, but it's it's so worth uh, watching. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. And I, I, recommend I do it have I, it back in, in back of me. I have a, a collection of Eleanor Roosevelt's newspaper. She did a, had a newspaper article or she had a column that she did uh, three times a week. And I, it's called was called My yes. Day. And it yes. was absolutely spectacular. And she talked about race relations and, you know, all the all the things that she was working on. And then I also have a book of love letters that she had to her lesbian love her. I love her. Yes. I can't remember her name. But le- but that was something that people did not know about Eleanor was that she was uh, carpet munching. I want to I want to dig in deeper. I, I, I'm so uh, en- engrossed and interested in in, in that period of history and what those three people did in particular to change the world that we live in. Well, Teddy has sort of been canceled uh, since the, the, that documentary came out. It just, it puts things in perspective, like all the, the boys, the white boys club, I'm not defending it, but it, you just understand where it came from and the wealth that sprung up and the robber barons, and then the attempt to do, you know, be of service to change the world. It's it, like all of history and all of mankind. It's a bunch of horrible things, and then a bunch of good things, and a bunch of horrible things. You know, everyone's horrible kind of doing... doing good things and good people doing horrible things. Yeah. is basically yeah. what, what it is. Yeah. Well, that's the Roosevelt's an intimate history streaming on PBS. Uh, number five. Number five. End of last year, people just died off. Like, just. Every day, some icon was passing. And one of the ones I just wanted to mention and think about a little bit was um, Richard Rogers, one of the great architects of the last century. He was Piano and Rogers, partnered with uh, Renzo Piano. He was a fabulous architect, famous, most famous, I guess, for designing the Pompidou Center in Paris. It's a giant building that looks like an oil refinery. And, it's kind um, of an eyesore, the... isn't it? Are you a fan of oh, it? I gorgeous, going... James. How dare you? It's he terrible, was this right? Pioneer of high. No, it is amazing and fabulous. He's this <laughs> pioneer of high tech architecture, and his concept was: you know, normally we're so dishonest in building buildings, we bury all the ugly bits on the inside, in between the walls, all the pipes. And he's like, let's strip that away. Let's let's put the the skeleton on the outside. It's I was going to say it looks like a habit trail for like for like you know like for hamsters, and it doesn't seem to have aged Thank well. You. The last yes, time they're I was... all painted in. Well, here's the thing: you're right that some modern architecture and perhaps high high tech architecture in particular 
doesn't seem to age well. It's not like sort of glorious things made of stone where the pattern evolves over generations. It looks lovely. No, it looks a little shoddy. But but when it was new, it looked fabulous. All those pipes were painted in primary colors. And then the elevator, the escalators, I'm sorry, were in glass tubes that went up yes. the outside of the building. Absolutely stunning. He also designed the O2 Dome in London, which, Tom, I know you've seen recently, a giant concert venue that is a basically a huge tent shaped like a dome on the Isle of Dogs. He also designed the Cheese Grater in London, so-called because it looks like a cheese grater. Um, and, I, I, you know, I love high-tech architecture. Uh, I don't actually love it because it's necessarily functional. I think it's really actually very camp. Um, it's actually kind of quite akin to drag. Um, but um, I guess that's for another time. We'll talk about that endlessly. Well, but just, Richard I... Rogers, rest in perfection. Okay, okay. I, I won't argue any about the Pompidou Center anymore. I just no, remember... I want you to argue. Come on, let's what have at it. In... I, I was there in the seven. Wasn't it like 78, 79 that it was, that it was made? When was it? Yeah, it was 76, 77, something like that. 76, 77. I was there right right after it was done, and I remember everyone was ooing and aahing, and everyone was saying how fantastic it was. Then I went in the 80s, and I remember thinking, I know, it's it's not, eh." and then I was there again about like five years ago, and I remember just thinking, this is the most ugliest building I've ever seen. It's just like, it looks like an 80s. It's no Beverly Center, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) There you go. I'll tell you, the problem with high-tech architecture and these walls of glass and what have you, no one's quite figured out how to vacuum them. And you get dust bunnies accumulating in the weirdest places. And they get really big because no one can reach them. And (laughs) cleaning them, so cleaning them does become a bit of a problem. But, you know, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I just want to tell you, though, getting curious a new show with Queer Eye star Jonathan Van Ness, um, produced by World of Wonder, is coming to Netflix worldwide on January the 28th. And in each episode, he dives into something that makes him profoundly curious. And Jonathan is perhaps one of the most curious people on this planet. And so if you've never thought you were interested in skyscrapers or bugs or hair or gender, all those topics and more are explored on Getting Curious. How fun that Jonathan is now a wild celebrity. I think I love that we can add him to our family. And I always, you know, I first came to know him when he started, when he was doing the gay or the, what is it? The gay, gay of Thrones. When he gay was doing Thrones. the Game of Thrones recaps. He's so funny and so adorable so i'm really looking forward to this one totally brilliant blake do you have a question of course i do happy birthday to this 10 year old with some serious accolades at just two days old time magazine dubbed her the most famous baby in the world and that same day she became certified by guinness world records as the youngest person to ever have a song that charted on the billboard chart she also has an NAACP award, a BET award, and is the youngest credited oh. Grammy award winner. Who? Is- oh, I know what this is. All right, you're listening to Wow Report on Radio Andy, and we'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James, St. James, Tom Campbell, and 
Blake. Yeah, I had a birthday question. It's this 10-year-old's birthday, and she has some serious accolades. At two days old, Time Magazine called her the most famous baby in the world, and on that same day, she became certified by Guinness World Records as the youngest person to ever have a song that charted on the Billboard chart. She also has an NAACP award, a BET award, and is the youngest credited Grammy Award winner. Who is she? I think I'm wrong, but I think it's the woman who, the child who recorded Baby Shark. (laughs) (laughs) Brittany, do you have a guess? um, I I think it's Blue Ivy. It is. Yes, yes. Happy birthday, Blue Ivy. Can you believe it? It could they only be a Beyonce baby. I mean, who else? Who who else could it possibly be? <laughs> I, I, you know, I was thinking it was a royal baby at first, but then I realized it is a royal baby. It is our royalty. That's right. We are counting down, as usual, the top ten things that made us go wow this past week, and we've reached number four. Number four. Number four. It, it's, it's me. It's me. I'm. I'm. We're doing this all this whole year. I get to go number. I get to go ten, seven, and four. It's just the way it is. Times have changed. Also, when we get back into the the studio, I sit in the center seat. That's just the way it is, Tom. Ipso facto. Just deal with it. Anyway, <laughs> number four. I watched a documentary on HBO Max called about the Beanie Baby phenomena of the 1990s. Um, and it is, uh, it's the anatomy of a super fad. It breaks down all the elements that happened that made it a perfect storm of, uh, of an economic bubble that just had absolutely no basis in reality. And, you know, you talk about like um, uh, crypto, you talk about like junk bonds in the 1980s, but you really have to go back to the tulip mania of the 1600s to have mm. a phenomena in which so- something uh, literally is made out of absolute nothing and the price just goes up and up and up and up and up. And what happened was in the late 80s, the Titan, the guy who created them, uh, would create just a set amount, you know, like, you know, like he, they'd come out 12 at a time and he wouldn't sell them to Toys R Us or Walmart or any of the or Macy's or any place. They only went to Hallmark stores, mom and pop stores, mom and pop privately owned drug stores. And it made it so that you had to actually seek them out. You couldn't just go and, and grab. You had to like literally go and find where they were. And there were five women five housewives who lived in a cul-de-sac in um in in a sh- suburb of Chicago and they started buying them up in bulk and they started calling around this the town or to the surrounding towns to so all the drugstores all trying to find them and then they would go and they started going all over the states these five women and buying them up in bulk and then they started going on local TV talk shows talking about them, local TV news shows. And then they started branching out to Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, uh, Colorado, Tennessee. And they would go and all of a sudden it started build up like other housewives started catching on that they wanted to do. Other mothers would buy them for their kids. And it's basically these five women 
who then went on to um, Good Morning America and People Magazine did a story on one of the women and that's when it broke. And all of a sudden it started, uh, the secondary market is what um, is what really started happening where you would buy them for $12 and then you'd sell them pre-internet, but pre-eBay, you would sell them in the classified ads for $100, $200, $300, $400. And that started elevating the secondary market. And once that broke, once that started breaking, then it all hell broke loose. And by the end of the nineties, it was a, you know, hundred billion dollar industry that just could not sustain itself. And then all of a sudden one day someone bought one for less than it was worth and someone else started doing it and do it, started doing it. And then the bubble burst and everyone who thought that they had, they were going to send their kids to college and they were going to retire on these, on their beanie babies lost everything. And the end, the, the, the interviews with these five women are just absolutely, they're just these, these, you know, Midwest housewives with their big eighties hair. And they are telling the story of how they inflated the market and how they started the fad. And it's just an absolutely fascinating documentary. I recommend everyone watch it. Did you guys ever own a beanie baby? I was not into it. I never quite got it. And it's funny because they, the, the, the super fans, you know, like they're, they're, they go to like conventions, you know, Beanie Baby conventions, and the people will hold one up and they'll say, look at that face. Those eyes are so expressive. And the expression, you're like, you, you can just see what they're thinking. And it's like just this like weird little blob of felt and buttons. It's just so weird that, the, that people read into it the way that they did. Now, I always thought that Tyke, the founder, engineered the bubble. I didn't realize it was well, five housewives he, who he sound did. like, from what you're saying, had nothing to do with the company. Well, he did, by by placing them in mom and pop stores, he knew what he was doing. And then by releasing them in, you know, in batches of 12, and then he would retire some of them. And once he started retiring them and, and stopping them from being, you know, taking them off the market, that's when they started becoming more and more valuable. But I love so it was the secondary was, market, the black market that changed everything. Yeah, so so it was a little bit. Wasn't... It was a little bit of him. It was a little bit of these housewives. It was a little bit of the secondary market. It's it all was the, like I said. It was a perfect storm of everybody sort of creating this super fad. But in the secondary market, he wouldn't have made any money. So I guess, and his beanie business went bankrupt, didn't it? Did, or did he get out in time? No, uh, he ended up and in twenty. 15 or 2016 or something like that he was arrested for offshore he ended up having an offshore account in switzerland that had billions of dollars in it and he was caught with that but then he was just given a slap on the wrist so he ended up he he did fine throughout the whole thing they they never get to interview him because he's this sort of reclusive billionaire but they keep trying to get into his circle and interview everybody in the circle uh, who works there and that's it's just fascinating because he, he's a crazy coot. <laughs> That's Beanie Mania streaming on HBO Max. All right, moving on to number three. Number three. If I've complained about this before, you're going to hear it again. But at the end of the year, I was so sick of people being like, fuck you, 2021, you know, I hate, when you realize that 2022 is just 2020, T-O-O, it's like, (laughs) people are, I get, it's been a tough year for a lot of people, 
and you have to recognize that. It's also been a year of incredible change, triumph. We are, are you better than you were a year ago? We're all vaccinated if we want to be, which puts us in a position where we're probably not going to die of COVID, something we didn't know a year ago, right? And there's a, a, a Twitter thread that my sisters forwarded me from Aja Raiden. And it was, and her whole point is like, you know, it wasn't such a bad year. When you think about the coup on January 6th, a horrible thing, it happened, it was defeated on television. And that the congressmen didn't all run away. They stayed and, and verified the vote. And then we got Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You know, like a lot of good has happened this year. I, I This kind of blanket, like everything's not good or, and I'm, I'm jumping this together. I'm jumbling all this together because we don't have a lot of time into like, Joe Biden's not doing a good job. It's like, the, the world's in a terrible place and Joe Biden hasn't fixed it in six months. You know, we, we, you know, COVID is meant to mutate. If you're paying attention, COVID will continue to mutate. We're not out of this. We're going to have ups and downs and ups and downs, and we're in a down right now. But if you look at um, uh, the, 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 the numbers in South Africa, which are the closest to what we're doing, in mid-January, all that, you know, they think we're going to be, that, that Omicron will be going down, that the ICUs are not filling up. I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna here. I'm just get, adding some perspective versus this kind of like, fuck everything. Everything's awful. I, I don't feel that way. I feel like we're making some progress. I, I do worry that the Biden administration isn't messaging itself as well as it could. Democrats seem to have trouble with that or the, or, or the, le- or the right media tends to des- destroy the left and the left media in, in an a, a, a attempt to be fair, lets them do it. And, and they're critical too. And so it feels like a pile on when I, I feel like, you know, since the beginning of time, gas prices have nothing to do with the president. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So it's the fact that, you know, our gas is so high and it's Biden's fault. That's crap. And, it's, and you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm ranting. I'm crazy. I've been locked up in a room alone. So basically what you're saying is 2022 is going to be the best year ever and that everything. No, I'm not. I'm just saying don't just every since 2016, everyone's fucked every year that came before. And I think that's a really bad place to start this year. I think it's a really bad place to live. Are people, you know, it's like we're being inundated with like climate change and world problems that are so big. Are we doing, and I think it's affecting now in the day-to-day interpersonal behavior of people. I went to the pharmacy before I left and I happened to take the escalator with the pharmacist. <laughs> you know, she was, she was just starting and I recognized her. I'm like, how are you doing? She's like, oh, it's so, you know, it's so busy. She goes, and people are so mean. You know, people, it's, it's just like, everyone needs to lighten up a little bit. And here I am crying and whining and, 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 and grousing that everyone needs to lighten up. But wouldn't it be lovely if everyone just took a moment to, I don't know, look on the bright side? I think that's a beautiful thought. And I want to move on to number two, which is an extension of that, really. Because number two. I, I read a fascinating article, and I'll post the link on the, on the WAR report, about the rage-demic, a pandemic of rage that we're all just so angry and the the story began with talking about a man who walked into a grocery store looking for cabazon cheese cabazon cheese being this sort of premium high-end blue cheese and there was none they were out and the guy just completely lost it and went ballistic and the reporter writes well i can't the lady who observed him i mean writes i i can't help feeling that this wasn't really about blue cheese (laughs) and there's this sort of 
And it, it put me in my, remember, did you see 28 days later and then 28 weeks later? And it struck me that actually here we are 28 months later, 28 months pretty much since COVID began. And what was so great about 28 days later, it was a zombie film, but the pandemic that infected everyone and turned them into zombies was rage. People became incalculably, homicidally, eat you, devour you, filled with rage. And I sort of felt that here we are 20 months later in this sort of rage-demic. And I know I myself have had bizarre moments of, of rage, just like driving my car and someone is like dithering in the street and I just like go from zero to 60 in 60 seconds. I'll give you another example. Um, you know, I was just about to complain in number two about movies and how there's so many movies and none of them are any good. And I was over the Christmas break watching movies and everything was awful, 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 awful. And I was like, hang on a second. There are more movies than ever. They are probably better than ever. And because well, I have the privilege of being able to stream them at home from Netflix or whatever. Or, but what you're saying is that you were filled with rage and you? you weren't going to allow yourself to like any of these movies that were actually probably fantastic. But because you were so filled with rage, you hated them all. We're somewhat well, just ungrateful. Point, especially West Side Story. I started to watch West Side Story in half an hour and I was like, I can't take this. West Side Story? No. It's, it's, I didn't it's think so. It's his best some... movie about sharks ever. Steven Spielberg's Listen, you best cannot movie like whatever, whatever movie you don't like. We can still be critical. We all are human. I would just say it's about gratitude. Throw a little bit of gratitude into your day. Slow it up in your interpersonal relationships. That's what I try to do. I'm not saying, and I can, I can lose it like that. But just be nice to the person behind the counter, and 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 let's not be let's be grateful that we have so many choices and not feel so fuck it about everything. I, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying, people. It was Steven Spielberg's best movie about sharks. Uh, sharks I didn't hear it. it. I didn't hear it. It's hard to hear. There's a time delay. We're going to work this out for people listening. We're going to work this out somehow. Well, the magic of editing will pull it all together so it will seem like a witty, seamless conversation. <laughs> or maybe not. It's his best um, movie we'll about sharks. Break and... <laughs> One more time, James. Break. Mama it's Drew, Spielberg's best movie Mama about Drew, sharks. Mama Ru, the brand new 14th studio album by RuPaul is out today. It's his 14th album. Uh, when we come back, we'll reveal our number one thing this week that made us go wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hey, welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James. And, um, oh, yeah, I, I just want to tell you, Rue's new album, his 14th, congratulations, Rue, is called Mama Rue, and it's out today. So get it wherever you get your music. All right. We've been counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this week. We've reached number one. Tom. Number one. We do a lot of rest imperfections. This one feels especially poignant. Because this person, not only did we wish that, wish that they rest in perfection, but largely they lived in perfection. And we're talking about the passing of Betty White. Again, I will, I will take this moment, again, being the grumpy person I am, telling people not to be grumpy. Fuck 2021 for killing Betty White. Betty White died in her sleep at 99.9 years old. 
knowing in her heart that the entire world and every gay man, especially those of us here, loved her. And it was, she, there was an article that she, in a world where we're all divided about everything and that, you know, a climate coming to, I mean, a comet coming to end earth divides us. But Betty White had no demographic. Everyone loved her, every age, every race. And um, it is sad to lose anyone, but I feel like what an example of a way to live your life. I, you know, it, it, I thought that I would be sadder when it happened. The, the, the idea of losing Betty, I think, was harder than actually losing Betty because, like you said, she was 17 days short of being 100, and by God, that's a great run. And she knew that she was loved. She knew that she did, you know, so many people die and they don't, they, they don't ever really get it, and she really did. And I... She had well, she had a good run, and she you know she changed the way we watch television, and she was she was a magnificent person, and she knew love, and she the last words she said apparently were Alan, you know her beloved husband that she's been waiting for, you know to to join I guess and, and can I give a silly footnote there? Yeah. I was reading that that I was reading on page six that Vicky Vicky Lawrence had called Carol Burnett or texting her and and, and Carol had said she had talked to her to Betty's assistant and Betty's assistant said the last words she said were and I read alien <laughs> and, and Vicky said oh I hope that was her last word I thought and I was five minutes I was alone thinking. Betty White was an alien and Vicki Lawrence is okay with that. It was Alan. Alan Lund, her husband. Yeah, Sorry, her beloved husband, Alan Lund. And so it is, it's, it's bittersweet to lose her, but um, I, I have found myself smiling more than, 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 than crying. And, and the celebration of her life continues. It's like it's a week later and, Pete, and it hasn't, yeah. it's, she, it's, she it's, has, it's, she has that holds the distinction of having two people magazine covers in a row. The first was for her hundredth birthday, and then the second was for her passing. So it's it, you know, God bless her. She was she was, you know, we all loved her. And I think there's a documentary airing actually that, that was in preparation that was done for her hundredth birthday, right? A celebration of her mm, that's airing okay. very very soon. Blake, oh wonderful! I, I will yeah. say that with everyone, yes, you know, Golden Girls, amazing. Uh, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, incredible. Emmy Award winning performance, Hot in Cleveland, amazing. That late in life. But I, the thing that I celebrate Betty White for is her appearance on so many game shows in the 60s and 70s where I grew up. It's like Betty White taught me how to play games, how to be competitive, and how to be sharp. Password. Oh, $100,000 yeah. pyramid. She was all a master at all of those. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a celebration for her 100th birthday. She was supposed to be in attendance, but the show must go on. So that's coming up, I think sometime early in January. Um, I, there, I, I'll also tell you, the uh, same people who made the uh, RuPaul Christmas ornament, remember that scandal last year? They have a Betty White ornament, and I saw it on Facebook. It's advertised now. It was $24. You can now buy it for $12. So you can buy oh, your Betty oh. White Christmas ornament for $12. It's you like know, that I, beanie baby thing all over again. <laughs> Um, I just, you know, I wanted to vie. I wanted to have a split number one because there was something else that I really wanted to talk about. And maybe we can talk about it next week. And that was the woman who was selling the farts in the jar. <laughs> yes. the story. And she was selling, she was getting up to 50 farts a day into jars. And then she switched her diet over to black beans only. And then she thought she was having a heart attack, but it was just gas. 
that she had to go to the hospital for her gas and they told her she wasn't allowed to fart in a jar anymore. Yes, she is in the 90 day fiance canyon. Canon. Is is that what she yeah, she's she's a beautiful, Jane, beautiful woman and Jane, she has beautiful, like beautiful heart. I'd like to think that Betty White would be honored to share number one <laughs> with the lady who farts in a jar. Thank you, James. <sighs> well, thanks for tuning into the Wow Report on Radio Andy Sirius XM. You can listen to previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. We'll see you the same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.